Part 2 It ought to have been one of the most exciting moments of my life. There I was, high on a ridge, looking down on Florence for the first time. Late afternoon, April the 18th, 1691. A burnt orange sun dropped, trembling from behind a bank of cloud like something being born. No more than an hour of daylight left. Gazing at the buildings clustered below me, the jutting crenellated towers veiled by the mist rising off the river, I felt a piece of paper crackle in my pocket. A letter of invitation from Cosimo III, the Grand Duke of Tuscany. And yet... and yet what? Even as my eye was caught by the tilt and swirl of birds above the rooftops, I couldn't help but glance over my shoulder. Nothing there, of course. Nothing there. Only the quiet grass and the pines, austere and dense, and the mauve vault of the sky, soaring, vast. More than fifteen years had passed, and still I couldn't forget what lay behind me, what followed in my tracks. I'd always feared there would come a time when, as in a dream, I would discover I was unable to run, or even move, as though I were up to my waist in sand, and then it would be upon me and all would be lost. I had left my hometown of Syracuse in 1675, the rumours snapping at my heels like a pack of dogs. I was only nineteen, but I knew there would be no turning back. I passed through Catania and on along the coast, Etna looming in the western sky, Etna with its fertile slopes, its luscious fruits and flowers, its promise of destruction. From Messina, I sailed westwards. It was late July, and the night was stifling. A dull red moon, clouds edged in rust and copper. Though the air was motionless, the sea heaved and strained as if struggling to free itself, and there were moments when I thought the boat was going down. That would have been the death of me, and there were those who would have rejoiced to hear the news. Rejoiced! Porco Dio! I was in Palermo for a year or two. Then I boarded a ship again and travelled northeast to Naples. I hadn't done what they said I'd done, but there's a kind of truth in a well-told lie, and that truth can cling to you like the taste of raw garlic or the smell of smoke. People are always ready to believe the worst. Sometimes in the viscous fumbling hours before dawn, as I was forced once again to leave my lodgings for fear of being discovered or denounced, Such a bitterness would seize me that if I happened to pass a mirror 